I'm going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at the first verse. Matthew 6, verse 1, we're right in the middle of Jesus giving what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, teaching his followers. Matthew 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites in the synagogues and the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that, they fasten, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let us pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word this morning. I ask that you would take this teaching from your Son and give us application, give us understanding, refresh us in these habits and these disciplines that you've called us to live out. So God, we ask that today you would teach us, you would refine us. In Jesus' name, amen. I think you could say there's two things that all of us have in our lives, habits and secrets. Our lives are made up of habits, things that we do day after day that basically determine who we are. Those may be eating habits, those may be watching habits, those may be work habits, but those things shape and form us into who we are. Some of you would probably agree today, we've got some bad habits. Some of you, if you went to the doctor today, the doctor would even say, it's time to form some new habits. Habits change us. Habits affect the outcome of what we do and who we are. At the same time that we have all of these habits, we also have a variety of secrets in our lives, things that only we know. And these things that only we know also shape and form us because they cause us to behave in a certain way. They either cause us to have this low-grade guilt all the time or sometimes our secrets cause us to pull back from intimacy with others. Our secrets affect us. And most of the time, 
Our secrets are negative things, things that we're embarrassed about or things that we know would get us in trouble. Spiritually speaking, it is dangerous for something to remain a secret. We're told in the Bible multiple times to bring everything into the light. First John in the book of James were encouraged multiple times, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Jesus is referred to as the light. Jesus is said in the prophets to be coming and will illuminate everything. Because when stuff remains secretive, it's dangerous. It festers. It's easier for us to hide. It's easier for us to remain in it. Maybe you would agree with me this morning that most of the time our secrets are not giving us life, but they're robbing us of life. When's the last time you had a secret and you said to yourself, wow, this secret is bringing me lots of joy right now? The only thing I can think of is when you're kind of keeping quiet that you're pregnant. Outside of that, I don't know much about a secret that brings joy. This morning, we see Jesus talking to his followers, and Jesus is teaching his followers about life in his kingdom. And when he's teaching, he reveals to us some new things that could, could and should be secretive and that should be habits. But both of these things are to be healthy and change us. This morning, we're really challenged to develop some secret habits. But these secrets will give us life rather than rob us of life. These things that are supposed to be secrets in our lives are common day things for religious people. Jesus is talking to people who know three things very well, three religious activities. These three religious activities are almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. These are not Christianity things per se, but these are religious activities that everyone knows basically of any religion. One of the interesting things as Jesus goes in to talk about these habits is he does not say, hey, you need to do more of these than the religious leaders. The language that Jesus uses is this. What you are doing, do it this way. In other words, Jesus is assuming that his followers are practicing these three habits. Jesus is not saying, hey, it'd be a good idea for you to start fasting. It'd be a good idea for you to start almsgiving. No, Jesus just recognizes that this is stuff his followers do. What he's trying to do is he's trying to reframe and help us re-understand the motivation behind them and the process for how they are completed. You see, these religious activities can also be dangerous because these religious activities can give us an appearance of religiosity. These religious activities can give us appearance of righteousness. And that's exactly what Jesus is speaking against. He starts by saying, hey, these things, that these righteous acts that you're practicing, it's because these activities can be seen as righteous acts. So when you see someone almsgiving, when you see someone fasting or praying, what do you think to yourself? They're religious. That's a good person there. Jesus says that's dangerous. Because we do not do that religious activity to be seen by others. Actually, we should do them not to be seen by others. When Jesus talks about the three things, there's two things in common about each of the three things he talks about. The first is this, the secrecy that Jesus desires. 
Jesus desires that these activities are done in secrecy. That's the heart and motivation behind them. Why? Because then your focus is on the right place, God himself. Your focus is not on getting the attention of others or doing them because everybody else is doing them. But rather, your focus is on God alone. He says here, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. Is it that doing it in secret makes it right? No, but it's the motivation. Doing it in secret maybe puts us in the right place to put our focus on the right spot or the right person. If someone sees you praying, does that make that prayer null and void? No, but what's our motivation when someone sees us praying? Jesus wants them done in secret, but then also he says here about each one, something that I just want to pound this morning because we don't talk about this enough. Listen to this straight from Jesus. This is not for me. And your Father who sees in secret will reward in you. Will reward you. Not just once. Now he's talking about prayer. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Going on a little further, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What's awaiting you when you practice these habits? Rewards! Who doesn't want a reward? How many of you are in kids and you did something good and your mom came and said, hey, let's go to the treat store. How many of you said, no, no, not me. Thing. No treats for me. How many of you and your worker, brought your boss, brought your last paycheck said, whoa, whoa, not me. Forget the bonus this time. No, no, not me. We like rewards. Why do we minimize the rewards of God? God nowhere says in his word it's bad to want the reward of God himself. He encourages us to want the reward. He lays the reward out there. He's not laying out some false carrot. There's a reward in these habits. The reward is God himself. In John chapter 5, as Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, he says to the religious leaders, why are you seeking the praise of all of these other people? Why are you wanting people to like you and clap for you? And then Jesus says to the religious leaders, you should seek my glory alone. In other words, that Jesus and God would give you the round of applause. That Jesus would say, well done. There's a reward for us. We shouldn't minimize it. God wants us to have him, want to experience him. Oh, pray more because it's the right thing to do. Well, if that works for you, that's good. But here's why I think you should pray more. There's a reward for you. That reward is God himself making himself available to you. Secret habits that are rewarding in and of themselves but they're also rewarding in so many other ways. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Three things that Jesus desires that we wants us to participate in. The first that he talks about is almsgiving. And you might say to yourself, almsgiving? What is that? I don't know if we've ever even used the word almsgiving. Almsgiving is simply a gift to the poor or a gift to those who are in need. This was something in the Old Testament that was established in the nation of Israel. You had your tithes and your offerings, but then you also had almsgiving that was above and beyond your tithes and offerings. And the purpose of that almsgiving 
was to bless those who were struggling. Notice what Jesus doesn't say here. Jesus doesn't say, hey, forget almsgiving. That was the God of the Old Testament. He affirms the behavior. He says, when you do this, you see, almsgiving is us giving to people in need. This morning we talked about King's Closet. You could say that King's Closet is the avenue that we provide for you for almsgiving. Our hope is that you would go to the store. When you're at the store and you're buying something for yourself, you just think of that new refugee family that's moving to Sioux Falls. And you say, I want to bless them. You're providing something for someone in need. When you bring that here, we don't ask that you sign the roll of paper towels with your name. You don't put a sticker on the bottle of shampoo that says, from the Franklin family. No, it's just from you. And no one knows who you are. We should all have that habit in our lives, finding ways to give to those who are in need. It says nothing about amount here. Nothing about amount. And oh, how we could learn from this. Because some of us don't give because we don't think we can give much. That is bad thinking. We need to give whatever amount we can give. Everybody can give something. One paper towel roll. One bus pass for someone who's struggling. Everybody can give something. Jesus wants us to have this habit. Not so that we're running around putting our names on buildings. Not so that we're putting out big press releases that King of Glory donated this many pounds of food. No, not at all. We do it. Why? Because it connects us with the heart of God. Because this is what God's heart is. To give freely. That's grace. Undeservingly give. Are we giving today? Are you giving today to those who are in need? That's the first habit that God wants us to have. The second habit that he talks about is prayer. This is the habit that most of us are most familiar with. Everybody talks about prayer. Everybody wants prayer. The question this morning is very simply, are we praying? Well, what is prayer? Prayer is very simply sharing thanks, praise, needs, and wants with God. Very simply, talking to God. That's what prayer is. It's talking to God. And we're going to dig in at a deeper level here in a second on some practical things on prayer. But notice, again, the heart of Jesus here. The heart of Jesus is what? That we would connect with our Father. Not that we would come and impress with big religious language. Not that we would use lots of words, but that we would simply come. And there is something extremely mysterious about prayer. The, the mysterious thing about prayer is that, as Jesus says here, well, your Father already knows what you need. Well, then why pray? Thing. I mean, that's an honest question, I think, right? If God already knows what's on our minds and what's in our hearts, well, this, God, can't we just cut this out? I mean, we could get out of service seven minutes faster. But why pray? Well, why pray? He doesn't really go into a detailed response here. The only response he gives is actually very simple when he says this, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. The word there critical is this, father. Whenever Jesus is teaching about prayer, he uses one word 
to describe God, Father. It's a word that describes intimacy, relationship, that the reason God wants us to come to him, even though he knows what's on our hearts and minds, is he desires for us to speak directly to him, to interact with him. Our Father in heaven, that's how we start the Lord's Prayer. That's how Jesus taught us to start the Lord's Prayer. Our Father is just a reminder of who God is to us and who we are. Children, children have a healthy relationship when? When they're interacting with their parents. God wants us to pray because he wants to hear from us. It's a mysterious thing, this gift of prayer. Jesus wants us to give to the needy. Jesus wants us to pray. Finally, Jesus also wants us to fast. And this is probably something that's foreign to the majority. Fasting is something that sometimes is promoted only in the charismatic community. Fasting is something that sometimes is only promoted amongst pastors and the religious elite. But notice here again when Jesus is teaching, he doesn't single out the religious elite. He doesn't say only the priests should participate in this. No, he's just saying, hey, followers, when you fast, fasting is for the ordinary follower of Jesus Christ. Fasting, I think, can best be described by looking at what Andrew Murray, who is an old, old Christian who's done lots of writing, says this. Prayer is reaching out after the unseen. Fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps us express, deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek after, the kingdom of God. So in prayer, we're reaching out to the unseen. When we fast, we're letting go of the seen so that we can focus on the unseen. Fasting is simply releasing ourselves from temporary things that we can taste, touch, feel, and eat so that we can focus on the one who is unseen. Fasting has so many benefits. One of the greatest benefits of fasting is this. It helps us with our materialism. Anybody else here struggle with stuff? I think all of you have a closet at home that proves you struggle with stuff. We cling so tightly to the scene. And sometimes just releasing the scene and focusing on the unseen can loosen that grip because it reminds us that what is seen is not all that is there. Fasting has been declared usually for two reasons. The first reason that we're usually encouraged to fast is to declare a solemn assembly where we acknowledge our guilt before God and confess our wrongdoing. In the Old Testament, a prophet would show up to town and say, we're calling a solemn assembly. Grab your sackcloths and your ashes and we gather together. And that solemn assembly of fast was called so that people could declare, God, we have done wrong. God, we acknowledge our rebellion. A time of fasting is often around a time of confession, acknowledging our need for God's intervention. At the same time, a time of fasting is also a solemn act where we intentionally humble ourselves to be reminded that God is God and seek after 
God's face. Intentionally humbling ourselves and saying, God, it's about your kingdom right now. We ask that your kingdom would come. God, help us understand your kingdom. We've removed all other distractions, and we want to earnestly know what your kingdom is doing right now. So a lot of times you'll see a church declare a fast to determine the will of God. Again, it's just intentionally humbling ourselves and saying, God, what do you want right here and right now? A fast is humbly acknowledging that God is God and we are not. Fasting is not simply giving something up. It's not saying, oh, I'm going to go without chocolate or TV during Lent. That is not fasting. That's not bad. But it's not fasting. Fasting is not just saying, I'm going to go without. Fasting is this. I'm going to go without and intentionally go with. God doesn't say, hey, just skip a meal on Wednesday, and instead of doing the meal, just watch Netflix on your lunch break. No, 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 no. Skip the meal for the purpose of intentionally seeking after God. Again, fasting is on one hand very simple, yet on the other hand, it could be the greatest challenge of the three because we are visual people and we are eating people. Yet, this most difficult thing can bring such glorious rewards because what? We focus on the unseen, that which is important. In all three of these things, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting, there's a great danger. That danger is that we get caught up in the technique of how they're all done. This last week, we were making taco salad at our house. And as we were making taco salad, my wife was feeding the kids, and I said, I'll get you one ready. So I got a soft shell out, and she said, well, put some cheese on the bottom. So I put the cheese on the bottom, and then I put some lettuce and meat. She started into it and said, you did it wrong. It's supposed to go cheese and then what? Meat. Okay, well, whenever I've done my taco salad, I always do this. Crushed chips, meat, lettuce, and then cheese. You see, they want the cheese on the bottom because they want the cheese melted. Well, I don't like melted cheese. So I like it on the top. Well, who's right? Be careful. I mean, of course I'm right, but there's not necessarily anything wrong with the other option. I think we could all agree this morning. There's not an exact right way of putting your cheese on taco salad. The important thing is what? Putting the cheese on the salad. We got to be really careful that we do not get so caught up with technique that we never start any of the habits. We get so caught up in the technique of how long do I have to fast for and exactly how much water and food do I have to give? No, 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 no. Don't get caught up in the technique. Just start. The one that's most familiar to all of us this morning is prayer. And so often technique can throw us off in prayer. But it's not just technique that throws us off in prayer. There's a variety of other things. This morning as we ask ourselves, if God's kingdom was to come right now in my prayer life, what would happen? We want to ask that question. Well, what happened is some of these questions or struggles we're having would get answered. Some of the questions that you have, these are from people here in our church that they have about prayer are the following. How do I improve my prayer life? Do our prayers change God's mind? Are there different ways to pray? How should we prepare to do so? Why doesn't God answer prayers? Struggle. 
making God a priority in regard to time. I want to give him the first period of my day in prayer, not my leftover time. He has been calling to me to this for a number of years. How should we pray? Does prayer change God's mind? If we say, as your will be done, then what difference does it make if or who prays? Some say, God answered my prayer by blank. What if he doesn't answer mine? I'm sure at some point you've had similar thoughts about prayer. This morning I want to provide just a few practical thoughts on those questions and how we move forward in our prayer lives. But first, for a moment, let's cut right to the chase. Why does God not answer prayer? Why don't I pray often? All goes back, actually, to the same fundamental thing. That God is hidden. And there's much about God that we do not know. God has made himself known in his word. But this is pretty broad. There's a lot about God that we simply do not know. So therefore, we're asked something. We're asked to step out in faith. This morning, some of us simply are not praying because we have an unanswered prayer. Something from our past is holding us back in our prayer life right now. That's something in your past is that you prayed for something that is a good thing. You prayed for your child, and yet your child still fell down the exact slippery slope. And what does that do? That affects your prayer life. Because that past unanswered prayer or the way in which things ultimately worked themselves out have you sitting there going, what's the point? If a loving God would not intervene in a situation like this, what's the point of me even praying about these other things? Those types of thoughts have major effect on our prayer lives. And they can just slowly creep in. So what do we do? The answer is not simple. But the answer also is not just the churchy answer of try harder, pray more. This morning, if you're struggling with prayer, forget about technique and focus simply on the person of God. What you need to be reminded of this morning is this, that God is a loving Heavenly Father and there is a mysterious element to how all of creation works. God is not some robot that has set everything in order. And then prayer is this thing where we go to the robot and say, God, I hope you change your mind before what happens tomorrow. You've already decided. Just please change your mind, God. Has God already made up his mind what's going to happen tomorrow? I have no idea. And some would say I'm being heretical right now for even making that statement. I believe that Scripture has said this. God has made up his mind about what happens at the end of time, that there's going to be a whole new kingdom. God has decided the end game. I don't know if God has decided where I'm going to eat lunch today. I don't know if God has decided if the person that's at Avera right now is going to be healed. I have no idea. Scripture has made known this, though, that God is willing to listen to his people when his people ask him to intervene. See, I believe that prayer is this, 
us crying out for God's intervention in our world, not changing up the robotic plan that was set into motion. God wants to be involved in His creation. He is involved in creation through His Spirit. Sometimes when He doesn't intervene, like we would want Him to intervene, it causes massive heartache. And there's no easy answer outside of this. We've got to get so captured with the promise end game that when the bumps in the road come, they can't rob us of the end joy. We've got to be so captured with the promise of the resurrection and the everlasting kingdom that when the small bumps come, they hurt, but they do not throw us off the path because we know the end result. This morning, the best thing that some of us can do is simply remind us that God is a loving Heavenly Father who wants to hear from you. God is a personal and relational God. It's not about technique, but it's about a heart that wants to go to our Heavenly Father. Some of you this morning are struggling with prayer because you've never heard from God. Well, let me put myself out there a little bit this morning and maybe get fired. Your pastor has never heard from God. I've never had a conversation with God. I've never prayed and heard a voice. I've never prayed and seen a picture. I, I don't know. Some this morning would say they've heard God's voice. That's awesome. The Spirit of God is alive today and working. Some would say they've seen a picture. That's the way of God's conversing with them in their prayer. That's fabulous. I've never had it. Yet you know what? I've had God speak to me almost every single day through His Word. God spoke to me this morning at 6.53. And it's crazy to say, right? He spoke to me. He said, exalt me this morning. I'm a holy God. He said that right here this morning. Prayer is speaking directly to God. Don't let the fact that you've never heard an audible voice hold you up in your prayer life. I'd encourage you to do this. Speak to God, spend time in God's Word, and just reflect, maybe writing down some of the thoughts that are going through your mind. And then come back later back and see, was that God directing your thoughts? Again, there's no right or wrong way. Don't let those things become the holdup, though, to a prayer life. Prayer is mysterious. Prayer depends upon the correct view of God for the motivation to go to God. And then finally, let me just give you a couple of practical things for taking that step for prayer. First is this. Use a prayer book. A lot of people have sat down and written out prayers in a book. You know what? If you're struggling developing a prayer life, grab a prayer book from someone else and use their prayers. <laughs> Who cares? Thing. There's no rule against that. If it's a new thing for you to talk directly to God in a personal way and talk about different things, use somebody else's prayer to get your thoughts moving. There's so many prayer books out there. Grab one. Go with it. Allow it to help you get started. Use a prayer book. Second thing is this. Pray Scripture. So here's what I would recommend doing. Open up the Bible. Read your five or six verses for the day. Whatever you just read, just pray back to God. Right? So you just read this morning that God wants people to, to reach out and extend mercy as Jesus extended mercy. Very simple. 
God, help me extend mercy today to my coworker. I'm just praying what God wants from His Word. Pray that God's Word comes true. Use a prayer book. Pray the Scripture. And then third, this, is an this might be inappropriate for church, I don't know. Use the KISS method. Keep it simple, stupid. Jesus even says this about the religious leader. He says, don't ramble on. There's no need to babble. God knows what you need. Just say it. Are you trying to impress God? Can you really impress the one who's invented everything and knows everything? You don't have to use big words. You don't have to use the right words. You need to use words. Keep it simple. If you need help with your son on what discipline to use, just say, God, help me say what needs to be said. You don't need to say, Father in heaven, thou art holy, and Father, we praise you, and you are all. Just say what needs to be said. God knows he's holy. God knows he's worthy to be praised. Make it known to him that you want to be part of that praise. Just say what needs to be said. And again, some of this just needs to follow your, your spirit of who you are. If you're more of a charismatic individual personality-wise, and that's kind of who you are, that's just fine, using that charismatic spirit in your prayer life. If you're just straightforward, shoot from the hip, then shoot from the hip. Say something. Keep it simple. God knows. Say it to him. Use a prayer book. Pray the scripture. Keep it simple. Fourth, this is important. Have a mixture of routine and spontaneity. Some of you this morning are like, oh, routine. Oh, my goodness. What's routine? All of you have routine in your lives already. You probably drive the same way to work all the time. You put your pants on the same way. You get ready the same fashion. You eat the same meals. All of us have got routine. It's time to add the most important routine. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. You need to have some routine. If this routine is three minutes from 6.42 to 6.45 in the morning, that's fabulous. If it's 12.15 to 12.18, that's fabulous. But you need to have routine. But then at the same time is, you need to have spontaneity. If you're driving to work and you think of someone or you see something, pray for it right there. If you're sitting at your desk and an email comes across and you're like, I don't know how to respond. Say, God, give me wisdom before I write what I'm about to write. So have that spontaneity, but you need to have the routine because when trouble comes, the spontaneity will disappear. But if you've built the routine, it's hard to break habits, and we all know this. So if you've built the habit, you're going to have that in the dark moments. Routine and spontaneity need to go together. Finally, most importantly, one word. Start. This last couple of weeks, I've been trying to get more physically fit. I know that may surprise some of you that I even need to try. Thing. But I've been trying to get more physically fit, and so I've got this walking challenge that I'm supposed to be meeting. I'm supposed to be able to go and walk with these, these guys at their office, and these guys are like professional walkers. So I've got to go through this whole training program just to walk with them. I had to send them a message to be like, I'm failing. But I'm not failing because I don't have a program downloaded. I'm not failing because I don't have a plan. It's very simple why I'm failing. I haven't started. Have you seen anyone finish something without starting something? Some of you need to stop overthinking the whole situation. You simply need to start with your giving. 
You know what needs to happen with your giving? Some of you got this in your mind. I just don't know if I can do it week to week. I don't know if I can give $5 a week. Or, you know what you need to do? You just need to start. Put a dollar in the plate next week. Just start. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can fast. I just don't know if I can go without those meals. You know what you need to do? Is you just need to take that 3 o'clock break off. Just start. Don't have a plan. Just start. The three words we need to leave here with today is, I will start. Because guess what? When Jesus is talking to his followers, he's assuming that they've already started. I will start. Let's say it together. I will start. Prayer, fasting, and giving are all amazing opportunities and habits that God has given us. Yet these habits do not make us Christians. They do not make us Christians any more than someone wearing a baseball uniform makes them a baseball player. But yet a baseball player does what? Wears a uniform. This morning, some of you got some dark secrets in your life. It's time to confess those dark secrets and replace them with healthy secrets. Secret habits that will change your life. We finish with one final question that was submitted. Or a struggle, actually. Struggle. How to have more patience with others. If I asked you this morning, how many of you struggle with patience? I think the vast majority would raise their hands. You want to be more patient? You know that patience is fruit of the Spirit? What does fruit mean? It's an outcome of something. You want the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, self-control? You know what you need to do? Put yourself in a position where God can work on you. So many of us pray, God, give me more patience. And then we think to ourselves, God's going to give me more patience by putting me behind a long train at lunch. Maybe. I don't know. That's a stretch, I think. You know how God works? God works when we put ourselves in a position, prayer, fasting, and giving, putting ourselves in places underneath the authority and the presence of God. Today, we can be more patient people. We can be more loving people. We can be kinder people. It begins, though, by putting ourselves in a position where the Spirit of God will work. Today, we don't become righteous because of these habits, but we go to the righteous God who has spilled His blood on our behalf. And He spilled that blood on our behalf. Now we can enter into His presence. This is the greatest truth right here. Jesus spilt His blood. Why? So that you can be in the presence of God. I believe that we defame the sacrifice of Jesus Christ when we do not take advantage of the power of His blood. And that's by entering into the presence of God. This next week, let's take advantage of the blood of Jesus Christ and enter into the presence of God through prayer, fasting, and giving. Let us pray. Almighty God, there's a lot of hurt and a lot of questions about unanswered prayers. There's a lot of misconceptions in our minds and our hearts of who you are. So God, we ask that today you would be kind to us. 
God, we ask that today you would refresh us, make yourself known to us. God, right now I ask that you divinely, miraculously would give everybody in this room a desire to start. God, I pray that we would be starters this next week. God, thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood on our behalf. And I pray now, O Lord, not because of our good works, I pray that you would accept us now because of that blood and enable us to take advantage of that blood this next week by entering into your presence. God, thank you. We praise you. We worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.